Well, good morning. How are we doing? We got a lot to go over, so we're going to get started. Uh, as Dale mentioned, uh, the past several weeks we have been sending out emails uh, that have gone through just a little devotional study talking about God speaking and, and how do I interpret God speaking, and more specifically, how do, how do I handle a situation where I feel like God's not speaking? Um, this is a safe place. I could ask you to raise your hands, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But more than likely, most of you have felt at some point like, God, where are you? You know, re- regardless of circumstance, uh, whether it's extremely difficult or whether it's not, the way you perceive it may be different from the way that others perceive it. And you may have thought, God, where are you in all of this? And so this morning, my goal is that this will be very practical for us as a church, and it's something that you can take from here and use in your everyday life. So, so Scripture makes it very clear that God has has revealed himself to us, and he speaks to humanity. Uh, he, he's done that. He reveals himself so that we can know him. Like, that's the whole point. And we've talked about Scripture and the whole arc of the meta narrative is what some people call it, but the overall arc of Scripture where you've got creation, then you've got fall, then you've got redemption when Christ comes, and then you've got restoration ultimately that we're looking forward to. And all of that is, I dare say, impossible if God doesn't reveal himself to us. We don't even know that's going on if he doesn't reveal himself to us. So we know that God speaks. And so throughout this whole process, God speaks in primarily two ways. Uh, We have what you call general revelation, and we have what you call special revelation. And so general revelation is just this knowledge of God's existence, his character, and his moral law that comes through creation to all humanity. So everyone knows through general revelation that there is a God. Uh, That's Paul's whole argument in Romans chapter 1, where he basically says, listen, even though you know there's a God, you choose to deny it. And what Paul basically points to is if you walk outside those doors right there and you open your eyes and you look around, there is no denying that there is a God. God has revealed himself to you. But God also reveals himself in special ways, and that's special revelation. That's just his words that they're addressed to specific people, and that includes Scripture. Uh, The primary way that God does speak to us is through Scripture, and he speaks to you individually through Scripture. That's special revelation. But specifically, how, how does God speak? I want to I walk through. We're going to go through this real quick because we've sent those emails out. And if you're not on that list, I encourage you to ask somebody. We can send that to you, even if this is your first time here. And you can go back and work your way through that if you haven't seen it. But how does God speak? Well, I just mentioned the first way is that God speaks through nature. And you look in Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim His, righteous, his um, craftsmanship. So they speak without sound or word. Their voice is silent in the skies. You don't have to hear any voice when you walk outside to see that there is a God. So he speaks through nature. He also speaks through, through the word, through scripture. And Dell encourages me. I've been told in school that you're not supposed to do this, but Dell encourages me anyway, so we're going to go and carry on. But I'll write this up here. This is a Greek word. All right, and what this means, this, this word is found in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, the words are inspired by God. That's probably what your Bible says, but a better translation is that these words, that Scripture is breathed out by God. So all Scripture is inspired by God, or the better translation is all Scripture is breathed out by God. And what's happening here is this theo is theos, which is God, and this neustos is this idea of breathed out. So it's God breathed out. So if you leave here today, 
and you only hear one thing, I want you to hear this. These are the words of God. Not a man that wrote them down. God used the Holy Spirit to tell the man what to write down. But these are the very words of God, breathed out by him. Not just inspired. That's why inspired is not the greatest word in the world. It's breathed out by God. This contains truth. In Colossians 1.5, it says, You have heard the word of truth. That's what Paul tells the church. You've heard the word of truth. This is the truth. So God speaks through the Scripture. God also speaks through miracles. In Hebrews 2.4, it says, God verifying the message by signs and wonders. If you go back and read the Gospel, and you see Jesus, and you walk through the story of Jesus, you see miracle after miracle after miracle. Well, why did God perform those miracles? To reveal Himself. To reveal His divinity. He was speaking through miracles. And I still do believe that God speaks through miracles today. God also speaks through the conviction of sin. This is the one we don't like to talk about. But God speaks through the conviction of sin. The word convict means to cause to see. It's like your eyes have been opened. So when you feel convicted, your eyes are open to the sin that's present in your life. So God speaks through the conviction of sin. He also speaks through his audible voice. We, we went through Exodus not too long ago, and you see as, Mo, as Moses approaches the burning bush that God speaks directly to him. If you read throughout Scripture, God speaks directly to individuals. Again, you go and look at the story of Paul in the New Testament when he gets knocked off his horse, and Jesus reveals himself to Paul, and he hears his voice. So God speaks through an audible voice. I still believe that God can speak through an audible voice today. I haven't been privileged enough to hear that myself, but maybe one day that will happen. I would dare say if I did hear it happen, it would probably be in a situation where I didn't want to hear it. But I do think that God can still speak audibly. God also speaks directly to the heart by way of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16.6, it says, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, or they wanted, to, they wanted to go. So they wanted to go to Asia and preach, but the Holy Spirit did not permit them to go. So this is what their intention was, is they, where they wanted to go, but God spoke to their heart by way of the Holy Spirit. No, that door's closed. This is not what you're supposed to do right now. So God can speak directly to the heart by way of the Holy Spirit. God also can speak through circumstances. He can speak through circumstances in your life, just like He spoke through circumstances in Scripture. One of the greatest examples, if you look in Genesis chapter 50, is the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers throw him in a, in a hole, and he gets sold into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt. He ends up working his way into a decent situation. And then the next thing you know, a woman turns on him, and now he's in prison for 11 or 12 years. You have to believe... I really believe that you have to believe that there are times where Joseph is in prison or he's in the bottom of that pit and he's thinking, God, where are you in all of this? I refuse to believe that Joseph was in prison for 11 years and like, all right, let's do this. I mean, there had to be days where he thought, where are you, God? But if you follow the whole story, and so famine hits, right? And Joseph has an opportunity to reach out to his own family, to feed his family, his brothers come back, and Joseph says, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He calls out his brothers, for, you threw me in the hole. You threw me in the hole. 
And at the time that I was in the hole, I couldn't see it. But God has worked throughout all of my life, and now I see, looking back, that God took what you meant for evil, and he turned it into good. So God can speak through circumstances. We just went through the book of Hebrews, and it says that the ultimate message of God is Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. The author opens the book in, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways through the prophets, but now, in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. The ultimate message of God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. So there's all the ways that God speaks to us. All the ways that he has spoken and all the ways that he is capable of speaking. So what do we do when God's silent? Or when we perceive God to be silent? I want you to understand there's two differences there. There's a difference between God actually being silent and us perceiving that he's silent. So what do we do in those situations? Well, first, I want to comfort you by pointing to Scripture that you're, this is not new for you, if you found yourself in that situation, this is not new. You can be comforted that Scripture shows that many men have felt the same way throughout history. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 2, it says, Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? So you've got a man going through a difficult time, a difficult situation, and he's like, God, where are you? Just like you felt. Habakkuk 1.13 you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? This guy's been done wrong. He's like, I'm doing what you've called me to do. I'm living the way that you've called me to live. And this guy's not. And how long are you going to watch it? How long are you going to be silent? And how long are you going to watch it? I guarantee that just about everybody in this room has felt that way as well. Psalm 28.1. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me. I become like those who go down to the pit. Just crying out, hear me, hear me, and don't be silent. So this is not a unique situation to you or to me. All throughout Scripture, we're shown situations where individuals feel like God is being silent. So how are we to interpret that? How are we to interpret God being silent? Well, there's a couple ways. Actually, there's more than a couple. Bear with me. But the first is, perhaps God's not ready to speak. This is a big one. Perhaps God's not ready to speak. See, I want mine, and I want mine now. Actually, culture has shifted to where that's not true. I want mine, and I want mine yesterday. That's how quick I want it. But what we have to remember is that God is the creator this is that moment right here where if you were here a couple of weeks ago, like this is the chicken moment <laughs> where we were in Africa and like the chicken doesn't tell the lady when it's going into pot to get cooked. Right? Chicken doesn't do that. The better example, this is the example that I couldn't use in Africa, but I'll use with you because you'll get it. You don't hop in your car today after church and your car tell you where to go. It's not how it works. Even if you've got one of those fancy cars that can drive itself and can go from point A to point B, you still have to tell it where point B is. It's not driving away without your command. So how dare us look at God and say, why aren't you speaking now? He's a creator. I'm the created. 
Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The sheep don't tell the shepherd what to do. So I'm in no position to demand that God speak now. That's the first thing that we have to understand. That's foundational. I'm in no place to tell God when to speak, where to speak, or how to speak. Sometimes he's simply not ready. The time's not right. Sometimes he's already spoken and told you what he wants, but he knows that you won't obey. If you've got kids, you've been here. I've told you seven times. Why am I going to tell you an eighth? I've already told you. You're crying out to me. Why won't you speak? I have. Why won't you listen? So why should God speak a second time if you haven't obeyed the first time? He's already spoken in his word. So how can you expect him to give you direction in other ways when you don't listen to what he's already told you in his word? You, we, just about everyone in this room, no doubt, has a Bible in their house. The probability is pretty high that, that you have multiple Bibles in your house. So how often do I, do I catch myself crying out to God, why won't you speak to me, why won't you show me what to do, and you've got a Bible sitting on the coffee table? He, he's told you. This is the primary way that God speaks to us today. It's sitting right there, and, and yet we're crying out to Him, why are you being silent to me? It's been silent. It's right here. Sometimes God wants you to make an important decision. And God doesn't desire that we make important decisions on a whim, nor does many times God want to just simply give us the answer. I'm a school teacher. You were probably this student at one time. <laughs> but you, you approach the teacher, and what do you want the teacher to do? Just give me the answer. I don't understand. Just give me the answer. But what kind of teacher am I if I just give you the answer? You don't learn anything. It kind of defeats the whole purpose of school. Well, sometimes God falls into a similar, similar category. Sometimes he, he wants you to make an important decision, and he wants you to approach him, and he's going to teach you. And you're going to go through a process where you're going to learn. He's not just going to snap his fingers. Either, even though he's fully capable of snapping his fingers, very rarely is he going to, because he's going to shape you and mold you through the process. You go back to the book of Jeremiah, one of my favorite passages, where I go down to the potter's house, and there's a broken piece of clay. And what does God do? Well, he takes the broken piece of clay and he molds it into something that he can use. He doesn't just snap his fingers and make it not broken. There's a process involved. In, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a good example of this. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah hears word of, of Israel and, and you know there's no temple. And, and he wants to go back and he wants to restore the land. And, he, and he, he's got to approach the leadership in order to be able to do that. But what does Nehemiah do before he approaches the leadership? He prays and he fasts. He doesn't expect an answer in the blink of an eye. He prays and he fasts. It says, when I heard this, this terrible news, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What Nehemiah did is Nehemiah humbled himself. He doesn't walk in front of the leadership and demand, this is what I want, make it happen. Because to do that would be, look at me, beat my chest, look at me, don't you know who I am? Instead, Nehemiah humbles himself. He understands that he's the created. And he humbles himself before the creator and says, this is what I want to do. Please make it happen. 
Sometimes God is testing you in order to bring out your faith. And it may be direct, it may be indirect. Sometimes it may just be through situations. If you look at Psalm 73, this is a Psalm of Asaph, and this, this goes back to something we read earlier. But he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So you can already see he's got a little motive here. Come on, this, surely this is who you are, God. But as for me, my feet has almost stumbled. My steps have nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm looking at all these people living the way you don't want them to live. They don't recognize you as God. But I see their prosperity. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're fat and happy. Things are, things are going well for them. They're not in trouble like me. They're not stricken like the rest of us. Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as their garment. He goes on and on, but his basic point is, do you not see these people? Why are you withholding your hand? But he comes back towards the end of the psalm. And he says, I see now ultimately what their end is going to be. It's the long game. It's not the short game. I understand what their end's going to be. That they don't know you. And what that's going to result in. Unlike me who does know you. And you will never forsake me. That's the whole point of the psalm. So even when God tests you, that's a test, right? When you see, when you see people living against God. And they seem to be benefiting from it. That's a test. That's a test of my faith. And the answer is whatever God does, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do, and that's be obedient and faithful. That's the answer. Because I know that my God is faithful. And I know how this is going to end. And I'm looking forward to that day. I don't necessarily demand, again, I'm the created, he's the creator. I don't demand an answer today. But I know that he will be faithful in the end. Sometimes when I feel like God is silent, Something's hindering my ability to hear and understand, and, and that's most notably, that's sin in my life. It can be known sin. It can be sin that I'm ignorant to. It can be in my ignorance of the Word. Again, God speaks. This is sitting on my coffee table, but I'm not opening it. Or it can just be simply laziness. I haven't studied and I haven't learned. I haven't sought His Word. It's important to recognize when I feel like if God is silent, we're going to get to that in a minute, but it's important to recognize, is there sin in my life? Is there something that's keeping me from hearing? Sometimes circumstances aren't ready. This is a tough one for us to swallow. Sometimes, not sometimes. God is always working. And sometimes circumstances aren't ready for you to see what you think you should see. One example of that, well, two examples. The first is David, King David. If you go back and you look in, in the books of Samuel, God anoints David as the next king. God sends Samuel to find the next king. And, and so Jesse lines up all his kids, you know, and he's got the big, nice, handsome, strong, athletic-looking guy. Samuel walks by, surely this is the guy. God says, nope, not the guy. Next, nope, next, nope. And he goes through all of them. Samuel's like, are you kidding me? Like, I thought you sent me down here to find the next king. Ask him if he's got any more kids. Do you have any more kids? Yeah, I got this one kid. He's in the back. Uh, are you serious? You really want to see that guy? He's, 
he's scrawny, he's nothing, he's just keeping the sheep, we got to make sure he's got something to do, make him feel like he's special. <laughs> you sure, you're sure you want to see that guy? Yeah, bring him out. This is him. On that day, God recognizes this is the next king of Israel. Now, have you realized Saul spends 13 years trying to kill the guy before he's officially anointed as king in Israel? 13 years. Now, David knew, I mean, the man is pouring oil on his head. He knew, I'm to be the next king. But it takes 13 years for that process to come to fruition. Sometimes circumstances simply aren't ready. Sometimes God is, you're not hearing God speak or you're not seeing what you should think that you should see because God's still working behind the scenes and circumstances aren't ready. In Genesis 15, God's talking to Abraham. And he takes him out and he says, here's the promise. Here's the promise. Look up at the stars of the sky. You, see, you can't even count them. That's how blessed you're going to be. And he walks him through exactly what's going to happen. And you're gonna, I'm going to give you this promised land, but it's going to take some time. And God even says why. In Genesis 15, 16, he says, the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. The people that are living in the land, the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. You will go into the promised land. Your people will go into the promised land when their sin has reached its full measure. In other words, when the circumstances are right, when the time is right. Sometimes God has something better. This is, uh, think about a teenage Think about a teenage girl. I may get, I don't know, I've never got an email here, but I may get an email about this one. But think about a teenage girl dating this guy. I mean, she just thinks she's madly in love with this boy. Please, God, I want to marry this boy. Right? And then she's 30 years old, and she's like, thank you, God, that I didn't marry that boy. Right? It's what she wanted, but God had something better for her. We see that in Scripture, Elijah was discouraged to the point that he just prayed to God, just kill me. Just kill me now. But what happens? Well, God obviously doesn't do that, but later on, God sends a chariot and a whirlwind to take Elijah to heaven. He doesn't even experience death. So God had something better in store for Elijah. He didn't answer the prayer that he prayed. He had something better in store. Sometimes the radio's playing, but we're turned to the wrong station. If I'm trying to listen to country music and I turn the radio station to 99.3, I'm going to get light rock from the 80s and 70s and 90s. I'm not getting country. I'm a, I'm a heretic. <laughs> I've got to be tuned in is the point. See, we assume that God's not speaking. God's speaking. You're just focused on something else. Sometimes our concern is with pleasure, entertainment, addiction, you name it. God, why aren't you speaking? I am speaking. Why aren't you listening? I want you to hear this. Intentional or not, the result's the same. I'm intentionally tuning God out, or I'm unintentionally tuning God out. The result's the same. I'm not hearing it. 
So we've got to make sure that we're, again, the, the Bible is sitting on the coffee table. Open it. Sometimes in our pride, we've simply got our minds made up, right? And this, this is where, I know I've said this before, but the, the root of all sin comes back to pride. I could take a marker and we could write different sins out on the board and we're, we can trace them all back to pride. The simple fact that I know better. Sometimes we've got our minds made up. I know better. Sometimes other people have distorted what God will say or do and, and we buy into what they say. Think about Job and think about all the, of, his, of his friends that came to him and told him, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you? What if he had bought into that? Sometimes we don't want to hear what God says. That's, that was Paul's argument in Romans 1. God reveals his anger from heaven against all wicked people who rebel against his truth. Before we come to salvation, that's what we are. We're rebels. I don't want to hear God's truth. So all of those situations, here's where I really wanted to get to today and spend just a, just a moment. Was we got all those different situations where we can interpret that god's being silent but what are we supposed to do about it what's our response what's our reply well first i have to assess if there's sin in my life i've got to take an honest look i've got to be willing to stand in front of the mirror and honestly assess my life psalm sixty-six, eighteen says if i had cherished iniquity in my heart the lord would not have listened god will not hear when there's sin present Am I a fallen man? Yes. Are, are you a fallen individual? Yes. But if I'm persistently and consistently living in sin, God is not going to hear me. So before I do anything, and, and that can be known unknown, before I do anything, I've got to honestly assess my life and be willing to repent and turn back. The second is we, have to, we need to continue to pray. So, so God's silent, or I, I, I perceive God to be silent. I have to continue to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In other words, pray without stopping. In other words, it should be a pattern of your life. I'm not, I'm not bent down on my knees, closed eyes, hands together, praying all day long, but my thought process should constantly be about the Lord. And I should be in some sense of constant communication. What is, so what is prayer? What's prayer? It's personal communication with God. That's what prayer is. I want to take just a second, and I want to, I want to make an example. Perhaps it's a poor one. But, but make an example and apologize for... If I, if I have offended anyone, hurt anyone, by, by not speaking, by not having a conversation with you, I apologize. I'm a fallen individual, and it's also part of my personality. I mean, if you walk up to me and you ask me a question about politics, sports, or the Bible, we're ready to roll, and it's going to get good. But I'm not actively, I don't actively, if you, it'd be a real interesting study if you took a clicker and walked around me all day, like, how many words come out of my mouth? I mean, if I'm not, if there's no intent, it's my selfishness, but if there's no intent, I'm probably not speaking a lot of words. i got to work on that. But the, the point is, 
If you're sitting in your chair, I'm trying to draw an analogy here. If you're sitting in your chair and you're thinking, I wish Dave would say something to me, we may go a long time without that ever happening. So if I'm sitting in my chair and I'm saying, God, why won't you speak to me? And yet I'm not in prayer. What are we doing? And I can, and I can, I think that I can approve that scripturally. If you look at Luke 18, we've got Jesus talking about the the prayer of the persistent widow. He says he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This guy didn't fear God. He didn't respect man. He's a stone cold hard dude he said there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying give me justice against my adversary so this lady would come to him every day give me justice against my adversary go away old lady i have not got time for this for a while he refused but afterwards he said to himself though i neither fear god nor respect man yet because this widow keeps bothering me i will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So this lady keeps coming every day, every day, every day. And finally, the judge is like, listen, what's this guy's name? I'll handle it. Leave me alone. She's persistent to the point that it breaks the guy down. He's like, whatever, just quit coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The point of of what Jesus is trying to say is, regardless of whether you perceive God to be silent or not, you don't stop. You come every day before the throne in personal communication with the Father. You have to continue in prayer even when you feel like God's being silent. Or you can close your arms and you can go back to the corner and we can have a standoff. You also need to remember what you know. In Psalm 77 it says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this. For the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. When God has been silent, don't forget how faithful he's been in the past. For the sake of time, I won't go there, but I absolutely love Exodus chapter 6. And it's this picture... Of, of God saying to the people of Israel, these are the things that I have done. Don't accuse me of not hearing you. I hear you. I am God. I have been God. I will always be God. And these are the things that I have done. And these are the things that I will do. Don't doubt me. I was faithful before and I will be faithful. So in times when you feel like God is silent, you cannot lose hope and lose sight of the fact that he is a faithful God so in light of that you have to trust God more not less if there's anything that my grandfather taught me Proverbs 3 5 and 6 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's real simple. I'm not going to lean on what I think. I'm going to lean on what he thinks. I'm going to lean on what he is, and I'm going to lean on who he will be. Because if I lean on me, I'm headed for destruction and disaster. And I don't have to look too far back in the recent past to affirm that. Remember what God wants. Remember what God desires. We go back to how we started this whole thing. God has revealed himself to you so that he can know you and so that he can be in relationship with you. That's what God desires. The, God, Lord, wants, the Lord wants us to know him and to love him like he loved us. And if I, if I remember that, then I'm going to seek him. Regardless of whether I think he's being silent or not, I'm going to continue to seek him. And I'm going to expect an answer. One thing that I would, highly I would highly encourage you to do, and I know it requires you getting uncomfortable, I know it requires you getting out of your box, but I wish more people would, would serve at the, at the homeless mission. You walk into that chapel and you look straight ahead and, and right above on the back wall that says, expect a miracle. And you're no different than those people in there. Expect a miracle. Expect God to answer. Because God is a faithful God. The last thing is, is be a doer. Be a doer of the word. I spent some time this past week in James. James 1, 19 through 27 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So regardless of whether I feel like God is speaking to me or God is silent, my job is to be faithful and to be a doer of the word. I'm to be a good listener and to be slow to speak. All of this has to be done out of love. I'm to be a good listener and slow to speak. I'm to be slow to anger, which means I must practice self-control. See, both of those things are not the way that you're naturally bent. I don't even have to know you. It's not the way that you're naturally bent. I'm not naturally bent to be a good listener. I want to speak because I want to get my point across. I want you to hear what I have to say. I don't necessarily want to hear what you have to say. I'm to be slow to anger. It's not natural. If self-control was natural, we wouldn't have all the problems we got out there. So how am I supposed to do those things? He says, put away every wickedness. Here's one simple question for you. Let's get as practical as we can get. One simple question. Does this, underline this, fill it in with whatever you want to fill it in with. Does this draw me closer to God or push me further away from God? That's the one question you got to ask. 
every day. Does this draw me closer to God or does it push me farther away from God? And if the answer is it pushes me farther away from God, then James says, put it away. You got time for that as a believer. My life means to be consistent of things that draw me closer to God. And he also says, receive the implanted word. We go back to the Bible that's sitting on the coffee table. Receive the implanted word. That word implanted, there is nothing that is going to be implanted in you without your permission. Or somebody strapping you down to a table and holding a gun to your head. There is nothing that's going to be implanted in you without your permission. There's intentionality there. Implanting something doesn't just happen. The Bible is not going to jump off the coffee table, coffee table and smack you in the face. It's not going to happen. You can sit there for 100 years. It's not going to happen. It has to be implanted, which means there has to be intentionality, which means you have to make a, a conscious choice to take that word and to put it inside me. Receiving the word of God is key. So I feel like God is silent. Receiving the word of God is key. God has spoken. You can make the argument, and I think you can make a very strong case, that God is never silent because he's given us his word. So you may perceive him to be silent, but he is never completely silent because you have the word, the very God-breathed word of God. Hear this. We'll close with this. Hear this. Many of us are trying to live a life for God. But you can't live a life for God if you're not living life with God. We're trying to live life for God, but you can't live life for God if you're not living life with God. Dale talks about dreams and visions. I don't know if I have dreams and visions, but I can tell you that when I was studying this week, this is what popped in my head. And so, literally, I told Grace earlier, like, this is a look inside this right here. There's people in this room that probably broke out in cold sweats about an hour ago because they, they thought about math and started having a panic attack. We're not graphing linear equations. But I do have a math-leaning brain, and this is what I saw. Because there are a lot of parts of the Christian life that seem boring, seems like God's not speaking, that seem mundane, and I don't get it. But the most significant transformation that's going to occur in your life, and that's the point of being a believer, right? God's going to change me. I go from the old man to the new man. There's transformation that takes place. And the most significant transformation that's going to occur in your life is going to occur over a long period of time as a result of being faithful. And so you come to the point of conversion. That's the red line. Your sanctified Christian life. And over time, God's going to transform you. You're going to grow. You're going to change. See, everybody wants it to be a spike. You want it to go, that's not the way that it works for 99.9% of people. You're going to see transformation change over a long period of time. Some of this is going to be boring and mundane, but God can and does use that. When I wake up every morning and I read my Bible for five minutes, there's going to be days that are going to be mundane, they're going to be boring. Did I really get anything out of that? But over the long haul, God is going to change. He's going to transform your heart, your mind, and your soul. In a lot of this, God's going to seem like he's silent. But know that he's never completely silent because you've been given his word. And you're going to have these heightened spiritual moments. This is, this is the way that I understand scripture. So you've got this red line, which is your sanctified life. 
you've got this blue line that parallels this red line. The only reason it parallels it on this graph is so you can see it. But it's on top of it. It's the same line. And so when I become a believer, I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. And he's going to stay with me. He's the helper, right? That's what Jesus said. He's the helper. And he stays with me. There's going to be points in my life where I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, it's a great two months of study. God's really moving in my life. It's just, it's a heightened experience. And so that's where you see these, these shots up of the blue. But a lot of times, those may be brief. But in the majority of my life, it's going to be this constant, I'm just sometimes feel like I'm going through the motions. A lot of it's boring. A lot of it's mundane. I get this spike and it's great. But that's not going to be the everyday. It's going to be periods. But the majority of the transformation that you're going to see and the most significant is going to be all the way across. So the point of this graph is to encourage you in the fact that regardless of whether I'm right here and feel like God's not speaking or I'm right here and I feel like we're sitting next to each other best buds on the couch. Regardless of that, my job, my job is the wrong word, my duty is to be faithful and obedient. That's my duty. Because if I realize that Christ came for me and that he died on the cross for me, I have no other option. None. As a believer. So regardless of where you sit this morning, whether you feel like you're in a moment where God's being silent or whether you're in one of these high places, know that God is faithful. He's always been faithful. He'll always be faithful. And if you're to be the image of Him today, then you're called to be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You speak. Lord, I pray that the people in this room, regardless of where they're at, will understand that, that you do speak and that you're never completely silent since we have your word. And Lord, I pray that we would dive into it, that we would dive deep, and that you would speak to us. And I pray that the people in this room would experience many highs and that we would be a church that's locked into you so that you can move through us and impact this community. Lord, I really believe this is a special place, and I thank you for all the blessings that you've placed on us. Lord, I just pray that we will be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.